0: Hello and welcome to The Ripple Podcast. The podcast about strange and unusual things and the ripples they create, <laughs> aka the story after the story. I'm Rosa. And I'm Angela. <laughs> this is The Ripple Podcast. Get Ripple, the bright new drink with that ring-a-ding flavor, Ripple. What'd you bring me? I brought you some Grey Wolf wine. And it's from Paso Robles. It's a Zinfandel. It's good stuff. I don't have glasses. You get to pour it into your seltzer can. Oh, uh, well, that's better than just pouring it into my mouth. Yeah. I, mean, I thought it that's, lets that's it what you were going to have me do. Bit. So, yeah, here's some wine. Okay. You'll find out eventually why I brought you wine. Grey Wolf Zin. Zinfandel from Paso. Yes. Are any of those clues to your story? No. Uh, (laughs) it's just wine okay it's good it's good stuff people oh i love gray wolf yeah and people shit all over zinfandel zinfandel is a great grape it's it's tasty i have concord grapes growing at my house right now that are like totally pickable oh yeah Mm Mhm. i love concord grapes they're delicious yeah oh come and eat them because i I do i've been feeding them to the chickens why i don't like the seeds. Oh, well, come on. Oh, how's your Peloton? Well, that's the bike I've been riding. Oh, I see. How's that going? I've ridden it at least once every day, usually twice a day. Nice. And you're doing a class every time? That's how it works? Mm-hmm. I'm still only in the beginner classes, though. So you take the whole idea of working out at home, and then instead of like having the social anxiety of going to a gym, you bring that social anxiety to you. Well, no, because you can do a live class. I haven't done any live classes yet. Oh, I see. Okay. I've only done pre-recorded classes because I have that social anxiety of like, I'm going to be the worst one in the class. Oh, at least they can't see you, right? No, 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 no. That's not too bad then. No, but it's so fun. You've got to come and ride my bike. It's really fun. Okay. How was your week? Anything good? Eh, Overwhelming why i don't know i know I just you have, are really stressed out one of those days i have like way too many things going on and i don't know if i've told you this analogy before but this is how i described it to adam the other day it's like i'm on a treadmill and i'm just about to slam my face into the belt and then like just before i go head first i catch myself mm-hmm. and then i just trip again it's, it's pretty much my life right now. Oh, that's not a good feeling. Yeah. So I actually took today off of work, and it's the first time I've taken a day off. Even I don't think I've even had a sick day in over a year. So that was nice. Good. Good for you. Yep. So do you feel a little bit better? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I just – all we did was, like, clean house all day. But even that, like, you're – you know, it's something – that you can see that you accomplished oh yeah it's a box that you can check yeah I mean I'm probably not gonna clean baseboards again for another year but you know it looks nice for now good so yeah that's my life anything else no I don't think so well that's okay because my story is kind of a long one okay so if you want to crack into it I am going to tell you a story and I don't know if I've asked you if you've heard this one before so the the topic that I pulled way back when like what four weeks ago now yeah a three 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 weeks three or four yeah a while ago it was extraordinary survival or some kind of survival something to do with survival I honestly don't even remember what it said now but then I had a listener recommendation to do this story my story that was recommended to me is about the Andes plane crash Do you know anything about the Andes plane crash? Not a clue. Okay. You might start to recognize it like as I go along because I feel like this is a story that a lot of people have heard about, but they don't really. So this is like week three in a row of listener recommendations. Recommendations. That's cool. Mm -hmm. I like it. Keep them coming. It makes um, Makes our job easier. Yeah, it makes it a lot easier. This story had so much information. It was like almost overwhelming. So I'm going to try to get to it. So my sources, real quick, Wikipedia, of course, Wonder on YouTube, infographics on YouTube. Uh, and actually, just I think maybe like a week ago, another podcast did this story, so it was super convenient, and that podcast is anxious and afraid. Oh, okay. so yeah, we like them. Yeah, they're awesome. Okay, so this takes place back in 1972 and the old Christians Club rugby team from Uruguay was scheduled to play a match against an English team in Santiago, Chile. I like the way you said that. Thanks. I practiced. Yeah, I could tell. Um, it's probably going to turn into Chile after a while. Santiago. So, but I, I tried. Okay, so the flight tickets for all of the players were going to be like super expensive because they have the whole team going and then like all of the... What? What happened? This is rugby. Yes, that's like football, right? Not really. What is which one? Okay, is rugby? let me give you the best rugby reference that I can give you. Remember in friends. friends, yeah, yeah, and Ross got the shit beat out of him. Uh huh. It's like intense, like they like football with no pads. Kind of, but there's like throwing people involved, like oh. lifting them up. I don't know exactly how it works, but it's intense. I've never I, I mean I know and I know they even call them like rugby matches. They're not even like rugby games, oh, are I they? Maybe. I, I I don't know. Anyways, I know I've heard of them and I know I've but I've never seen a game match yeah play. I don't before. think I have either. But, but it's like a brown ball. I have no idea. Okay. I it don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't know it's sports. They're they're like strapping athletic boys, men, college age. Okay, so the flight tickets, like I said, it was going to be super expensive for everybody get, to get tickets. So they actually figured that it was going to be more economical to charter a plane. Oh, cool. Fancy. Which, yeah, I, I mean, super cool. And they were able to uh, load up the entire plane because instead of just buying individual tickets, you, like, you get the whole plane, you fill it up with as many people as you want to bring along with you. So they got it from, which is... An awesome thing from the uh, Uruguayan Air Force chartered aircraft. Cool. Yeah. And it was a twin turboprop Fairchild FH-227D. All right. I got twin prop. Uh-huh. The airplane was piloted. piloted, <laughs> Piloted by Colonel Julio Cesar Fernandez and Lieutenant Colonel Dante Hector Lagaria. So because they were chartering this entire place, they invited like extra friends and family along. How many how many people can fit in one of those kind of airplanes? I think 50 Whoa yeah. I want to say they had 45 people. Oh my gosh, I was picturing a much smaller twin engine plane. Yeah well, if you figure I mean they probably had at least 20 plus people in the team and then they've got their coaches and assistant coaches and everything. So it's a fairly Big, large uh-huh. airplane okay. They, uh, they left in October, October 12th, and this is back in 1972, and they were flying towards, uh, where did I say they are Oh, Santiago, and they actually ran into some bad weather, so they had to stop for the night in Mendoza, Argentina, and there was just these storms going over the Andes, so they just kind of had to wait it out. I mean, it happens. The following afternoon on Friday, October 13th, the storm had cleared enough for them to continue their trip over the mountain range. The direct trip from the Andes, oh, over the Andes, from Mendoza to Santiago was only 120 miles. So in a big plane like that, it's like really not. No. Like that, that's a pretty quick trip. Yeah. However, in order for the pilot to fly direct, he would have to climb to 26,000 feet, which is really close to the aircraft's maximum altitude of 28,000 feet. Okay. And given that the plane and was... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. For the person in the room that does not have a pilot's license, explain to me what happens when you reach maximum altitude for an airplane. Uh, well... For this particular plane, it would probably be like too thin of air maybe. So your fuel to air mixture might be a little screwy. And then just the weight of the plane might require you to use more fuel and not like make the trip, if that makes sense. Like your consumption to fly to that altitude is going to take a lot of gas. Your props are going to keep spinning though. It's not like going to... Like you're not going to crash immediately if you if you go above recommended. Right. I mean, if you're going over the recommended, it's not going to be like instantly you're shut down. Mm-hmm. There's a little like wiggle room, but it's not a good. Thing it's to not practice. recommended. OK. <laughs> OK. I was just curious, like how like what happens, you know? Yeah. Well, that wasn't really the problem. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, given that the plane was fully loaded, the pilot would have to be extremely careful with the fuel calculations. And this shouldn't have been a problem at all because this particular pilot had made this trip 29 times. So, oh, it's like okay. fairly experienced. He's done it, he knows what he's doing. Right. But the weather, even though it was clear enough for them to fly, it wasn't clear enough for them to operate off of, like, visual references. They had to use their instruments. Mm-hmm. So imagine, like, it's um, kind of like a whiteout. You're in the clouds, so you, don't, you can't really see everything very clearly. So the pilot and the co-pilot used their navigation through instruments, and they made it to their first waypoint, which was the planchon pass. I'm going to say that's how you pronounce it. Sure. And based on their speed and direction, they should have started their descent about 11 minutes after crossing that waypoint. Okay. Um, however, for some unknown reason, the pilot requested permission to descend only three minutes after passing that point. Oh yeah. So when the plane started to descend and move out of the clouds, they could see these Andes mountains. Okay. And the co-pilot didn't go like, Hey, what the heck are you doing? Well the co-pilot was actually being trained by the pilot at this oh, time. Oh no. Yeah. Okay. So of course they like start hitting some turbulence and they're bouncing around the plane a bit and the rugby players were actually like joking around, like, oh wow, you know, this is quite the ride. And then they looked at the window and a lot of them had never flown before. And they're like, whoa, look oh, at these mountains. Uh-huh. And they even like some of them changed she- seats to get like a better view. Oh, so now you've got mountain. double the weight on this side of the plane. No, they like switched around. Okay. And that, I mean, I'm sure it's fine. Well, and um, then they noticed that like the pilot, they felt it, uh, him apply like full power. So the plane goes almost vertical. And that is when the whole plane stalled. Vertical up, like he's pulling up. like he's trying to pull up. Mm -hmm. And he just pulled up a little too severely. Severely. The plane loses lift. It stalls. It slams down and hits the mountain. Yikes. And when this happened, the plane hit a ridge, causing it to snap in half. Oh. Yep. Whoa. So everyone in the back two rows... And like all of the luggage and the tail went to one side of the mountain. And then the fuselage and wings went down towards the other side. Oh, my gosh. Right. So after that, the wings actually struck the mountain and were like completely ripped off the fuselage. Um, so it's like a toboggan at this point. Oh, my God. You're psychic. I told you. (laughs) A couple of episodes ago, ago, I told you that. And I thought that was like super insensitive. But there's like this one news report that was like, the plane continued down the mountain like a high speed toboggan. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what it said. Oh, that's funny. And it slid down for freaking 2,500 feet. That's That's a long way. That's a lot of feet. It was not a very fun toboggan ride, I'm sure. And so upon impact. 32 of the 45 passengers survived. Oh, well, I mean, that's pretty good Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean considering the severity of the yeah. whole thing, that's like, I mean, that's pretty good. Considering your plane just slammed into a mountain yeah. and split in half. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of the survivors were seriously injured, including Enrico Platero, who had a piece of metal in his abdomen Ugh. that punctured his intestines. Ah nardo Parardo had a skull fracture oh. and he was actually in a coma and then arturo Naguria, his legs were broken like in several places mm. so a lot of these people were like just really even though they survived they were not doing too hot well and they're not going to be hiking off the mountain anytime soon mm-hmm. nope So one of the pilots was killed upon impact and the other was severely injured and he actually begged the passengers to take out his service pistol and kill him because he was in like that much pain and they just, they couldn't do it, Uh huh. but he eventually succumbed to his injuries. But Mm. before that, he was able to give them like a map and kind of give them a general idea of where they were. Oh, okay. So 19 year old Carlitos. Oh, shoot. Piaz I, I want to say is how you pronounce his last name he described like the scene once they got out of the plane because you know you're like in this protected cabin and you're in your comfy airplane clothes like I'm always in like leggings uh-huh, and travel clothes yeah but they are in the freaking Andes so it is just solid snow and rock they're at the super high elevation so there's no vegetation around there's no sign of animal life And it is below freezing. And the snow is like so bright that the reflection Mm, is mm -hmm. causing them to have like severe eye pain and snow blindness. So they all like huddle in the fuselage together and like wait for help. So search and rescue was deployed just hours after the plane went missing. And they searched until after dark. The following day, the search and rescue sent out 11 aircrafts looking for the missing flight. So people knew that this plane went down. Yeah. So they had, they were contacting the approach for this next airport because they thought they were so close. They're mm-hmm. like, yeah, we'll be there in three minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. When really they were like more closer. 11 minutes. Yeah. Closer to 11 minutes away. So they, they were super close or at least they thought they were and they were in contact. What did the radios still work? Could they call like a, like a, Hey, we're here. I see a plane. That's thing. what they tried to do, and I'll oh, get to that. Sorry. <laughs> so some of the rugby team tried to write SOS in the snow with lipstick because they saw these planes fly over, like this, the search planes. Wait, why do rugby players have lipstick? Oh, because like moms and sisters and. Friends went along with them. Oh. I mean, I don't know. I'm assuming that there's nothing wrong with some rugby players having some. No, lipstick. I just didn't. Not know. at all. That I was like that was super, like part uh, of the part of the uniform. Yeah, I mean, that's totally fine if they want to wear lipstick. But I'm assuming that's where it came from. <laughs> <laughs> But they, yeah, they quickly realized that they're just, the airplanes were too high and they're in this white airplane that's like halfway dug into the snow oh. and it doesn't have wings anymore and it doesn't have a tail anymore. So it like doesn't even look like an airplane. Um, Are you going to talk about the people on the tail side too? No. Oh. They flew away. Oh, they didn't make it. The winter wonderland. No, they're, yeah. Okay. They, they didn't survive. So... um, That's pretty much the last we hear of them. Okay. So during the night, they had, like, it started to get even colder than it already was. So they took, like, luggage and clothing and anything they could, and they started to pack it into the holes of the fuselage, and they just huddled together to stay warm. So when I was writing this story this morning, (laughs) I'm like... (laughs) it's cold this morning like I had the you know I had my door open to let in the fresh air and it was probably like I don't know 6 7 a.m. and I looked at my phone and I'm like oh 68 degrees damn <laughs> the temperature that night was negative 22 Fahrenheit that, that's not even a real temperature right? like I can't even that's not a thing no what is that that's 80 degrees colder than it was this morning no Like I, I, the negatives. No, don't even like. I can't even comprehend. If it's under seventy-seven, I'm cold. It's cold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so not fun times to be had. Oh my gosh! During this very first night, Uh, hypothermia was definitely an immediate risk. Sure, even if you were like lucky enough to be uninjured. So they just like they all huddled together, like I said, and they tried their best to doctor each other. And just the entire night, people were just like screaming and Mm. crying. And that very first night, four more people that had been injured from the crash died. Oh, my gosh. So they had to drag their bodies out of the plane and just kind of like get back together and just wait for help. So they did attempt, like you said, to call out on the radio. Uh-huh. But the radios were too damaged sure. to operate. hmm However, they did find a small transistor radio that allowed them to listen to the news about their crash and see, like, okay, they're sending out the search team. Uh, I guess I and give just kind of hope. Right. Just stay informed on what was going on. After three days of oh, waiting, uh huh, Nando, the guy with the head injury woke up from his coma. Oh, my gosh. Like, it's amazing he even survived. So when they told him what happened, he said it felt like he had died and gone to hell. When he awoke, his teammate Roberto Canasa had to tell him that his mom had died in the crash uh and his sister was severely injured. Uh She had, like, some internal injuries from the impact. So he immediately went to her side and he tried to comfort her and just, like, keep her going, keep her warm. Um, By this time, obviously, they're starting to get hungry and they're starting to get thirsty. So they ration out all the food that they can find on the plane. And they had eight chocolate bars, a pack of saltines, three three small jars of jam. So Mm -hmm. I'm imagining like the little ones that you get on an airplane every once in a Uh while. And a few bottles of wine. Oh. So think about that when you're enjoying our drink tonight. Oh, my gosh. Yep. As we're in shorts and tank tops. Yep. And so those rations were spread among 28 of the remaining passengers. Wow. Insane. Can, can they melt ice mm-hmm. inside of the airplane for drinking water? Well, they come up with like a really clever way of doing that. Okay. okay. So I'll tell you what they did. Okay, so they had no idea how long they were going to be there. And they started to scavenge through the plane to look for anything that might help them survive. Um, But the air is super thin, and they're not used to that altitude. altitude. Uh So they're breathing a lot more. And they're breathing heavily. And when they're doing that they're actually making themselves even more dehydrated because they're losing that moisture with their breath. Mm. So I don't know if you've ever like experienced altitude altitude. sickness. Yeah, anything like that where it's just like you almost feel it in your throat. Us being at sea level pretty much anywhere else. It's Mm -hmm. like going to Colorado and I can't breathe. Right. But so what they do is they start to eat snow because they're so thirsty. Mm -hmm. Not a good idea. Right. I didn't know that. Yeah, they didn't know that. Uh-huh. This definitely accelerated their hypothermia, and it actually caused them to mer- burn even more of the calories, like precious calories that they had. And because the calories are, are causing, or the they are burning energy trying to regulate their body temperature. Right. And they also caused them to have like blisters and chapped lips and like mouth and throat and everything it was mm. just blistering up. Um. So Carlitos discovered that they could make the snow drinkable by removing aluminum sheets from the seat backs from the plane and he would lay them out in the sun and then like spread a thin layer of snow over it and collect drop by drop into empty wine bottles of fresh water. Wait, this is the guy that woke up from the coma? No, oh. that's Nando. Oh, okay. Carlitos is like, He's almost like the inventor of this whole crew. Okay. He's he's the MacGyver for the sure. professor. hmm So once the bottles were full, they would pass them around and each person could get like one sip of water. Oh. Yeah. So day five. Oh no. Yep. They decide that they need to find the tail of the plane that slid down to the other side of the mountain. That is where most of the luggage was stored and where the plane battery was located. So they think if they can find the battery, they can get the radio working again and they can call for help. I don't know if that's a great plan. Well, I mean, they're out of food too. So it's like, oh, maybe if we get back to the the tail end, we can find whatever food was packed away. Mm -hmm. So Carlitos and a couple of the other boys set out to find the tail. But the snow at this time was waist deep. And after a few hours of searching, they were absolutely freezing and exhausted mm-hmm. and had to return back to the fuselage. Do you, do they say how far they actually made it? I don't know if they even knew. OK. Because it's just like solid snow snow. I don't know. And that's like like I mean, it doesn't snow around here, obviously. But like if we go to the beach it's you know you're walking on sand it's a lot harder to walk on sand than mm-hmm. it is on like hard ground this is freezing snow up to your waist yep that's like crazy mm-hmm. and you and haven't you're eaten not, for five days you're not in uh, snow clothes either Ugh. you're in whatever you happened to bring with you yikes that's like frostbite probably oh yeah i'm sure that happened yep so it doesn't get better oh, because geez. on day eight sorry <laughs> On day eight, little Susie dies. The sister. The sister. And this was Nando's sister. He said at this time, like he was so desperately trying to survive that he couldn't even cry or mourn her death. Oh, wow. He just knew that he had to get out. And by this time, the rationing is so strict that he survived off of one chocolate-covered peanut for three days. What? I was going to bring chocolate covered peanuts. I almost <laughs> asked you where they were. Yeah, I was going to bring those. Just give me one. Right? And we'd just be like snacking on them, you know, this whole time. And be like, just imagine one for three days. Like, I, I have, I think, three hours is a long time to go without <laughs> eating, to be honest. I mean, at least to not even think about food. And it just doesn't happen. Three hours, I'm looking for a snack. Wow! Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Insanity. So once they ran out of food, they had to like resort to finding anything else that could potentially be consumable. So they were looking at like leather on the seats or the luggage. Are they going to eat the chairs, front? belts, their other passengers? Oh, no. Oh, no. I didn't say that. Oh, um, no. Pieces of wood, hair gel. Oh. But there's nothing left. So, how many days would you go before you thought about eating people? I don't know. I don't, I, I might be one of those people that like do it because I'm, you know, starving, but then get sick because I think about what I just did. That did happen. But I'm trying to think of like the longest I've even gone without eating. And I think maybe it. Day like on purpose, yeah, for uh-huh. fast, like for a blood like, test or something uh-huh. where you have to be fasted. But I want to say, like, when you do that, typically it's the most they make you fast is like 12 hours. I don't even think they make you go 24. I mean, maybe it depends on the test. I've done 24 hour fast before. I'm like, for what reason, for medical reasons, or just because you wanted to see how long you could go without I, eating, like, an like a intermittent fasting. No, oh, that sounds awful. Uh, it was very difficult. It doesn't it, sound fun at all. No, it wasn't. Um, and then when I was, I like for blood work and, and stuff, I've gone. But I think you're right. I think it is like a 12-hour fast or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Which actually, like when I know I have to do it, it doesn't really bother me as much. Like when I know eating isn't an option, I'm like, eh. I mean, it sucks, but it's like, it's doable. But how many days are they now? <laughs> They're now on day 10. Oh, my God. Those those chocolate-covered peanuts are wearing thin. Mm -hmm. So medical student Roberto Canasa, which I think I mentioned him earlier, he had an announcement, and this was something that everybody was already thinking. They were going to starve to death unless they had some sort of protein, and there was only one way to get it. Why are the airplanes not finding them? Because, well, have you seen pictures of the Andes? Uh, just on a candy. <laughs> I was gonna bring those too. <laughs> oh, I totally forgot about that. Man, those are delicious. So good, and you can't so, buy those in stores. So good. I mean, you no. can, but so I think you just, get them at restaurants. Yeah, and they don't have restaurants anymore. Restaurants are gone. I know. So we're never gonna have Andy's chocolates That's the ever again. Closest I get to starving <laughs> is that the restaurants are closed. <laughs> um, it is. I think it's because the mountain range itself is like super dense. So it's like it's cliff after, cl- after cliff. Clift. Okay. <laughs> this is too much wine. I shouldn't be <laughs> laughing about this. But I think it's like the fuselage of the plane tobogganed down the hill. Yes. And I think kind of like stuck itself like it's deep in a valley. Oh, okay. and it doesn't look like a plane anymore. And And it's it's all white. And it's probably covered maybe by some more snow. And there's probably some more snow on it. I don't... I mean... And it's like super hard area to fly to begin with. If there's no visibility. Yeah. So I don't know. Like I was going to look up if they had any sort of like emergency location transmitters or anything like that. But Mm -hmm. I I just... I didn't. Wow. So I I mean, it seems like they... if If they did, they didn't work. Right. So... I mean, it's just weird that like... They knew approximately where this plane went down, and they've been searching for ten days. Yep, and they can't find it. Nope. And the well, and it just must be hidden because, like I said, they saw planes fly over the the survivors. Passengers? Yeah, that's when they tried to lipstick. Uh huh. So I don't know. It's, just, it's oh that must very be so frustrating. frustrating. Yeah. Okay. So protein bodies. Um, Some of the survivors, like you said, couldn't stomach the thought of eating human flesh and others objected to it morally. But Nando argued that the souls of their friends and families have already left their bodies and their loved ones would have wanted them to survive. So he kind of like used the analogy of like Jesus gave us his body and that's now what our family wants us to do. They don't want us to die. So they would have wanted us to do this. That's a very good rationale. Yeah, I mean, that, right? would, that would convince a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just realized Nando was in a coma for three days. See the connection? No. Come on. I'm not even Christian. <laughs> Didn't Jesus, like, die for three days or something and then come back? For Easter? Yeah. I don't remember how many days. Oh, my God. The you cat, need to go back cat- to Bible study. The Catholic schoolgirl. girl. I'm... Um, He was dead for a few days and then was it longer? Less? I don't know. I'm not. I I don't know. I I don't know these things. I'll look it up. (laughs) Bible talk. Yeah. Anyway, should I continue? Yes. Go ahead. Um, So they decided that they were going to eat the pilot. And this is because they didn't really have any personal connection with them and the other three people. days. You're totally right. See, look at me. Wow, you're going to go to heaven. Mm-mm. Um, <laughs> not if Jesus hears this podcast. Okay. Uh, 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 uh. Eat the oh, eat the pilot. So yes, they were going to eat the pilot. That was and like I okay, and I don't have like a direct quote from this because I listened to like bits and pieces of like YouTube videos and podcasts and stuff where like when they actually brought themselves to do this the people who didn't immediately get sick said that like oh my gosh this is like the most amazing thing ever because their body was craving that nutrients like so mm-hmm. so badly that it was just a natural like survival instinct it's a to mental. want to c- keep consuming it mm-hmm. so that's what they had to do so did they cook it no oh how could they yeah, because they don't have fire. But at least it was still refrigerated. It kind of, it kind of is making me gag, like thinking about really? it. Yeah, it's it's kind of making me gag. See, I was thinking like I bet I, I w- could totally – this is sounding terrible, but I bet I could totally do that. If I were starving, like I don't think that it would make me sick. I, I, but you that's the difference between you and I. I mean, you can eat meat. I have issues – well, you a- eat chicken and fish I eat and chicken stuff. and fish. And that's but I can't eat a cow. I can't eat a pig. I don't know if you're I mean, if you're starving, it's a whole different scenario. Pretty much what it comes down to is everybody who su- survived ate people. So they ate raw human food body. I, yeah, I guess. Wow. Mm-hmm. And they had knives and stuff. No, they had to make them. They, like, they found later on when they went back to the crash site, there's, like, um like utensils, or not utensils, I mean, like, sharp plastic that they kind of, like, had an edge to so uh-huh. that they could cut. And the other, okay, this is the part that would really, really, like, be difficult, too, is that these people are frozen. So not only is it hard enough to cut into somebody's flesh, Oh, because they moved them all outside. Yeah, that's right. So then it's like you're you're really having to I mean, not to get too graphic, but like just to understand how difficult it was like you're chipping away working at it. Yeah. So did it say I'm, I'm so like infatuated with this whole eating bodies does did it say what part of the body they ate I think they ate like as much as they could anything oh and this again like don't quote me on this but I remember hearing somewhere and I didn't use it in my sources because it was just like I was listening to it while I was working but like different parts have different nutrients and they're just eating whatever they could Hmm. because you figure like the you know the legs got probably quite a bit of muscle Muscle. Uh uh-huh I don't know They don't have those details. Oh, wow. Okay, so moving on to day 11. So this is the day after they decide that they're going to go ahead and get their protein source. Um, One of the guys uses part of the plane to extend the radio antenna. You remember that little transistor radio they found? Yes. So that they can listen to the news like a little bit more clearly and figure out what's going on with the rescue efforts. This is when they hear... That the search has been called off and that they have been given up for dead. Oh, no. And immediately, like the guys, I keep calling them boys. They're like rugby players, but, you know, they're college age. The guys begin to start crying and praying, except Nando, who shouted, this is great news. Like, this is fantastic news. This is the best news we could get. And exactly. So the other players were like, what the fuck? Like, how you're going th- crazy? Yeah, how in the hell can you think this is good news? And he says, Because it means that we're not going to wait anymore. We have to get ourselves out of here. Oh, I want to be like Nando, right? Nando. Isn't he amazing? It's like Fernando, Fernando. Oh, Nando. sure, uh huh, Fernando. Got it. Okay, so from this point on, Nando is obsessed with the idea of leaving the plane and walking out to freedom. Carlitos doesn't take him seriously at all because he thinks he's just like gone crazy like you said and that everybody is just too weak from hunger to make it out. And based on what the pilot told him, Nando believes that if they could just get over this one mountain like right in front of them, they would be able to see down into Chile and they could just like, you know, find somebody, anybody to hug Flag help them. someone. Mm-hmm. Right. So he knew that if he tried to climb the mountain – he could potentially die, but he figured if they stayed in the fuselage, they would like most certainly die. Sure. So on day 17, the survivors. Oh my God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> were you thinking he was going to leave like immediately? Sorry, I should have like prefaced that, that oh it didn't my happen God. right away. On day 17. On day 17, the survivors, the, the survivors, the will- survivors were all huddled in the fuselage trying to get some sleep. And then they start to hear something, and it sounds like huff beats. And in the middle of the night, an avalanche comes. Holy crap. Down the mountain and slams into the fuselage, burying everybody. This is a horrible story. Sorry, I like <laughs> just threw that right at you. I I, I kind of forgot about that detail. And I, I thought Nando was like going to go and save everybody. <laughs> yeah. You know, like when things were bad, they just got worse. Wow. Um, okay. So those people that were able to free themselves... And like dig themselves out of this freaking avalanche, uh, they quickly tried to dig up their friends, and this ended up taking the lives of eight more people. So now the survivor account is down to nineteen. And it when they first crashed, oh my gosh, I just thought of something so terrible. I'm gonna say it because it's this, this podcast. But their food supply went up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I should not be laughing. It's the wine. I'm sorry. It's late. Oh. oh, okay. Wait. So there was 45 on the passengers. Plane. Yeah. Or I don't, 45 passengers plus crew. Okay. And then when they crashed the 30, 32 and now they're down to 19. Now they're down to 19. Is Nando still alive? Nando is still alive. Okay. And this increases his desire to get off of the mountain in, even more. Like what he's about like, Carlito. Carlitos is there too yes so Nando's like okay this man is gonna kill us we need to get out of here yeah and Carlitos the MacGyver he's like okay I'm he, with you he's coma man no, no no Nando is coma man oh geez yeah so he's badass She sure is Carlitos um he starts to like prep Everybody as a team, they like kind of coordinate a way to prep for this hike of getting out there because they know that not everybody is strong enough to do it. So okay. they're going to have to send out a few people and they want to give them the best possible shot. So they start putting things together. So Carlitos takes um, like, I guess, clothing and whatever materials he has and starts like sewing sleeping bags with this copper wire that they found in the airplane cool so he's using that as a thread he's so slowing up <laughs> sewing up these sleeping bags and then of course like i told you there was that sun blindness mm. so they actually get the idea of cutting the visors out of the cockpit okay and like Making- macgyvering them into sunglasses wow yeah smart right and then of course they have their wine bottles and the jars from the jam to like hold Whatever. water and mm-hmm. human and they're just kind of like prepping for it so what why are you laughing at me just <laughs> carrying a pocket full of human with me i mean it's not great but you know you gotta survive so on day of 43 no i'm sorry <laughs> i just keep going right into the days without even giving you any sort of warning <laughs> we went from day 17 to day 43 no. it's been a while so, at this point, now there's only 17 survivors. So, two more people died and they died, I am assuming, of starvation. Yeah. Or, um, at the time of one of the victims' deaths, he was down to 50 pounds. Like, that's just awful. Yeah, that's not okay. And this is probably a big guy, you know, big rugby player. Sure. It's just, it's really... That's awful. Uh, like, the amount of suffering is just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So, Nando, Roberto... And two of the others, after multiple attempts, finally find the tail of the airplane after six weeks at this point of trying to find it. So they're able to locate the battery. And this is kind of like their last chance, like, okay, we're going to try to call for help. And if we don't get help, we've just got to get out of here. So they bring the the battery back. And then they also find in the tail, like some pieces of insulation, another box of chocolates, and a camera oh, so the camera is like it's pretty cool because they're like hey we're gonna I mean we have it document we're gonna document this. it mm-hmm. and you can actually see pictures of this and we'll post them on our Instagram for the story picture or mm-hmm, whatever mm-hmm. or episode picture because it's kind of crazy like I mean these people, oh yeah I want to see this yeah okay so what they didn't know at the time and this is a big bummer is that the battery they brought back from the tail was completely incompatible with this radio. Um. And there is no way they're gonna make it work. And they didn't have tools or anything like So they were just like kinda just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. And after days of trying, they finally just like give up. It's not gonna work. Mm-hmm. So on day 47, they decide last ditch effort. They're going to take all of the luggage and build a giant cross across the snow because planes are flying over and they're trying to signal somebody for help. Right. At this point, Nando is like so over it. He decides that if they aren't rescued by December 12th, he's going to leave. And anybody who's strong enough to go with him is going to go with him. He's just done. Yeah. So in the meantime... Like I said, the, they're, like, prepping all of this equipment. Uh, another thing that they decide to do is create snowshoes out of seat cushions mm-hmm. because, like, they are wearing rugby shoes and they're walking through snow. Sinking, yeah. They yeah. need that, that wider. So they're mm-hmm. straight up strapping seat cushions to their feet, which is just, like, brilliant but also awful at the same time. Right. So here comes day 61. Okay, wait. Nope. I'll tell the, I'll say this at the end. What? I'll, I okay. just keep going. Remind okay. me. Remind me about the date, the numbers of the days. Oh, OK. Mm-hmm. Are you going to remember? Yeah, totally. Are you sure. It's in my brain. OK. Hopefully I remember to remind you. OK. OK. So now day 61. Before leaving the fuselage for the last time, Nando tells the remaining survivors that if they need to, they can use the body of his mother and sister. Because remember before, they're trying to, like, go for people who weren't connected, connected. Mm -hmm. So to them, that was like, wow, that is the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah. That's just... And the way Roberto describes it is, like, they are... They had become, during this time, no longer individuals, but they were all part of, like, one being. Uh And Roberto was the legs of this, like unit because he was the one strong enough to like make this trek and Nando was kind of like the morale booster and Carlitos was like the brain MacGyver and -hmm. And it's just it's it was really cool the way he described each other part yeah so that was just like a really meaningful gesture that he made that like yeah no I need to go ahead and eat my mom and sister yeah wow pretty awful so they began to feel the effects of this higher altitude as they started to make their way. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to mention. So Nando went, Roberto, and then a 19-year-old Antonio went along with them because he was like strong enough to try to make the trek too. Mm-hmm. And they start making their way up this mountain. And they, when they start feeling the effects of the higher altitude, they have to take a breath after every single step. So it's like step, breathe, stop, take a breath. Step, take a breath. Wow. And the distance that they had planned to cover in one day took them three days. And do they have food with them? They have the chocolate yeah. and stuff from the tail. And yeah, they all packed rations mm-hmm. along with them, just like whatever. Like you're hiking. Right, yeah. As much as they could. Um so the slope of this mountain that they climbed was almost a forty five. That's yeah. crazy. It's absolutely insane. So like experienced climbers today would say like they absolutely would not do that without a rope and crampons. Like that's a serious climb. And there is no way, you know, that anybody could do that without the equipment. Right. So for pretty much every step they took, or no, this is how they they described it. So for every two steps they took, they would slide back about a half a step. Uh, And they're taking the breath. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're starving to death. Oh my god. And they're walking on freaking seat cushions for giving me. So much anxiety. Absolutely. Insane. So, day sixty three. The guys are finally approaching the summit and they can like almost taste freedom. But once they reach the top, instead of seeing the city lights and the green valley below them. No. No. What do they see? Just more snow? They just see mountain after snowy mountain, oh. a huge mountain range ahead of them, and I hate this story. It's awful, is not it? <laughs> like it's like I'm laughing just because I'm so uncomfortable yes. at how awful this is. So they're like thinking, like, "Oh, we're almost there. We almost made it." And but it's like we didn't. Oh shit! Like I would imagine. That I would feel like I... Like he said, I you died and went to hell. Uh-huh. Like it's just never ending or purgatory or whatever. What's that song that dad used to sing? I don't know. Uh, the bear went over the mountain. I don't <laughs> the know that he went sing over the not sing mountain. mountain. The bear went over the mountain oh. to see what he could see. Yeah, but he saw the other side of the mountain, didn't yeah, he? But that's all that he saw was the other side of the mountain. Not more mountains. Well... This is mountain after mountain. Okay, do you want to hear the worst part about it? Oh, it, it gets worse. It gets worse. Yes. Tell me. Can't okay. Wait. So, um, oh, hold on. We have a we have a special guest. Oh. what the hell is this? Peanut butter and jelly. Oh, hello, special guest. Wow. Wait, this what is a- fancy looking? I feel like we need to take a picture of this. Yeah, before. What, it, what is this special drink? And jelly. It's a peanut butter and jelly shot. Or This drink. is not a shot. Or not shot. a shot, but like a, a drink size version of a shot. Yeah. Okay. So Eric, as you guys know, make our themed drinks every week. And he just got here. And I told him that we were doing survival stories. So he made a peanut butter and jelly. I mean, it would be really nice to have peanut butter and jelly on this particular survival story. We are Pod Jerky, two Canadian buddies serving up multi flavored audio jerky in every episode. We share entertaining stories, social experiments, commentary, and review from our daily lives. Pod Jerky, make it a double. Okay, so they figure that obviously they're not where the pilot thought that they were, and instead they're in the middle of the Andes, and they're actually further east of Chile, and they're in Argentina. So they're in not even in the same, in the same country. Oh. It's a country, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I think sort of. Anyway. That's not a real good pilot. Well, I mean, that's how he ended up hitting a mountain, I guess. Yikes. I don't know. Who knows? I mean, nobody's going to know for sure. Okay. This is what I was saying about how it gets worse. Because... If they would have traveled the other direction, like down the mountain, like I think they headed west, let's say, if they went east instead, mm-hmm. I guess it would be up another mountain because I, I imagine that they were in kind of like a valley. Sure. So if they would have gone the other way, they would have only been 18 miles away from a hotel. Oh, isn't that the worst that's news ever? Horrible. So what do they do? cry so, a lot yeah I, I don't think they can anymore i think they're like physically, no more tears. there's they're just physically incapable of even doing that at this point so nando accepted that he was just not going to go back to the fuselage he does he's not. like not gonna do it he's like nope <laughs> i'm done i'm out of there um they sent antonio back down the mountain uh that's and a 19 year old too. yeah he was the younger kid he I guess he was like either having a hard time keeping up or I don't know he Hopefully was gonna he go got to ride like a sled down the oh hill. my god you nailed it See, I'm telling you you're psychic <laughs> so he took the seat cushion that uh-huh. they were using as a snowshoe and he slid back down the mountain it's like the only joy he's had for the last three months right I <sighs> would be kind of fun not the starving and eating people and part, not but heading back to an airplane full of dead people well they were on the outside um, anywho, Antonio gave the other two guys his rations and they decided that they were going to just continue on until they found help or died. And Nando and Roberto were obviously pretty close. I mean, they were teammates and everything. And they, there's like this epic quote that said, and I don't remember which one of them said it, but we've done everything together. Now let's go die together oh right that's horrible okay so nine days of hiking nando and roberto they actually think that they're starting to hallucinate because for the first time since the crash they see something that isn't either black rock or white snow so they're, they're like not even seeing colors anymore it was grass And their like first thought was like, oh, maybe this fell out of an airplane or something, because they're that they're just delusional. Um, so they like eat a shit ton of grass because like, it's something not human, and then they start seeing running water, and they approach this river, and it's like, oh my gosh, there's life down here. Uh huh. And they're hanging out there for a few hours, and then they see a horse. No. Are they going to eat the horse? No. <laughs> that was my first thought, too. I'd be like, oh, my God, that looks so delicious. <laughs> but no, um, there was a rider on this horse. <gasps> Yay. Yeah. And they, they're they like immediately yelling and screaming and I'm jumping. I'm surprised they have voices. Yeah. Being that cold. I mean, and if that's your one ticket to survival, though, I feel like you just force it no matter how lost your voice is. Well, it makes me think of Titanic. You know, when, like, Rose is floating around and she tries to yell out to the boat, but, but she has no voice, so she has to, like, grab a whistle off of a dead person? Oh, does she? hmm oh, I don't remember. I don't know why I remember that, but, yeah, I do. I mean, the only thing I remember, which is probably the same thing that everybody else remembers, is that she had plenty of room for Jack up there on that headboard. Totally. So, they, sh- yeah. That's a terrible survival story. Horrible. This, is, this survival story is much better. Uh, uh, uh Oh, okay. So they're yelling for the guy for help. And like they can't even really hear each other because there's a river between them. So he throws like a bottle with like a paper and a pen over to them to like see like, what the hell are these two skinny guys? I was, was going to the say two? they probably look like skeleton right. men. So they're able to like write out like plane crash, whatever, whatever. He throws it back. The guy then throws over like his little like basket of bread like his lunch pretty Aww. much which probably was the most freaking delicious bread that they have ever eaten in their entire life they probably like three bites and were full oh yeah so he goes for help but it's like a long trek to go back from help because he's like this ranchero guy out on this cattle ranch or whatever mm-hmm. out on the range he has to go back to the village so it takes them another day so day 70 is when oh my A crew on horseback finally makes it back to them. I wonder if they thought that guy was going to come back. You know? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that would have been a worry in my head. Uh Uh-huh. Me too. I would have been like, "Is is he? It's been 24 hours. Is he coming back? Yeah. Are we waiting? Like, they're probably so exhausted at that point, though. I think they would just like... I don't know. Yeah, I mean, be resting, mean, waiting, and like embracing that time that they had to like just sit and wait and eat and do nothing else and not be as freezing. That's horrible. It's awful. Okay. So day 71, Air Rescue was able to locate the survivors. And on December 22nd, they were lifted out. So and that alone too, and I couldn't really fight. I mean, I guess they were able to tell them – But can you imagine being as hungry and out of it and just like completely clueless to where you were being able to tell people, oh, the plane is back there? I was wondering that, too. That's like a that would have been a huge fear. Like, can I even describe where we came from? Did we come from this way or this way? Yeah. Everything looks the same. And you're already freaking hallucinating Uh at this point. But they did it uh they couldn't take everybody out initially so they actually dropped off some um like aid like they had they dropped off some medics and stuff to Um, stay with them for mm -hmm, that night mm -hmm. and give them like food and and supplies and stuff and then the they were eventually rescued the following day um 16 out of the 45 survived oh yep for how many days that would be 71 days total yeah Insanity. Okay, so this is what I was thinking as okay. you were saying numbers. Tell me. Mm-hmm. How many days have we been in quarantine? I don't know. Too many. Well, there's that. Since March, mid March, late March. I don't know. April, May, June. Longer than this, but but think about that though. Yeah, as a comparison. Uh huh. Yeah. Like how? I mean, it feels like we've been in quarantine for five years. Yeah. But we have food. Right. We have Netflix. Like, uh-huh. ugh, I can't even imagine. That is insane. Yeah. And to never be able to escape the cult. Mm-mm. And to, I mean, and th- if you think about it, too, like how much time was just spent just sitting and like conserving yep. all of your calories what are and you doing yeah just waiting and like okay well i get to eat another third of this chocolate covered peanut today mm-hmm. and better not move around too much because it might burn it off a little too you know like yeah ugh. yeah so ugh, the whole cannibalism thing so they initially had this pact that they weren't going to tell anybody what they had to do to survive But obviously, like, they had to explain it somehow. And the news of the cannibalism got out to the media. And immediately... It's not like they wanted to do it. It's not like it was fun for them. Well, maybe people didn't fully understand that because they had this, like, huge criticism and backlash. Oh, that's bullshit. Mm -mm. Not okay. Uh Uh-huh. Not okay. So that was, like, kind of one of the stories after the stories is that, like people just trying to survive got shit because they had to freaking consume something in order to make it through. Yeah. They don't actually like the survivors. They don't want to call it cannibalism because they feel like obviously cannibals are people who are seeking out sure. human flesh. They're like, uh-huh. no, it wasn't cannibalism. It was survival. Absolutely. Um, So that's kind of like one story that really isn't mentioned as much. But here is a little bit more of my ripple. And this is like a few little bits and pieces of information that I picked up listening to some of these people being interviewed like today and what they had to say. And it's. So how old are they now? Oh, I don't know. So if they were like That's 20. Hard. Say they are 20 back in 1972. 70 to 80. 80 to 90, like 60 probably. Oh. Maybe. Sh- okay. About I would, 50, I don't 60s. know why I was expecting so much older. I was thinking like they'd be like in their 90s or something now. I don't know why. No. That's just what I envisioned. No. And yeah, no, I did too. And maybe it's because like, well, I don't know. It just um yeah, they I mean they're still out there and Uh-huh. and so and what like, do they, they say? Have? Oh, okay. So Carlitos he claims to this day that making that sleeping bag was his biggest accomplishment. Wow. Which is super cool. He still lives near his family, particularly his father, who never stopped looking for him, even after everyone told him that he had to have been dead. So this entire time, he was constantly in contact with the Chilean search and rescue. He went all over Argentina and Chile, putting out flyers, like Mm -hmm. asking anybody if they had seen any sort of thing that looked like a plane crash. He never gave up on Carlitos. That reminds me of Kyle's mom. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh huh. You know, she. She's. Mm-hmm. It's been almost a year, and she's just still wanting to know. Yeah. So one of like his kind of mottos is that in order to succeed at anything, you must try. So get a little mantra. Mm-hmm. So Nando became a successful businessman who says that he ex- this experience um through the experience he learned to enjoy everything in life things that he had never enjoyed before which like yeah he was like the most positive outlooking yeah Mm -hmm. and he attributed a lot of that to learning all of these morale like building experiences through rugby Mm -hmm. so he kind of like uses that as a tool to keep spirits or use that as a tool to keep the spirits up and everything, which I mean, it's so hard to do when you're in a situation like that. I can't even imagine. Um, he decided to become a race car driver for a while afterwards. He like, he went all out and that actually allowed him to meet his wife. So he is very thankful for the experience. A lot of them said that they're very, very thankful for the experience and had their friends and family members not died they would have wished like they wouldn't take back that experience in their life Mm, you know what i mean? got it uh-huh okay um another kind of crazy thing too is that a lot of them and this might be a cultural thing or it just might be i i don't know you'd have to talk to somebody who understands psychology a lot better than i do but they believe that they don't suffer from ptsd So they feel that because they suffered for so, so long that they don't allow themselves to suffer anymore because of that, if that makes sense. Like I've already done all my suffering. Like so one of the guys too, as soon as he was like back to his healthy state where he could leave the hospital and function as a normal human again he threw this massive party on the beach and just wanted to be around everyone mm-hmm. and have celebrate a great time life. and celebrate and just never take anything for granted ever again so i thought that was kind of interesting too i'm like i would imagine that you would have nightmares about oh. this experience for the rest of your you'd life you'd never want to like, get nope. into an airplane again uh-uh they're they actually speaking of they have returned to the crash site multiple times to kind of reunite with each other and to play tribute to the dead. Um, it's a place that you can actually visit now. Oh, wow. Uh, and they have brought their children to see the site and just kind of explain a little bit about like what they went through and, and just to have gratitude for everything in life. Um, I love that. Yeah. So Anando, I think... He specifically didn't come out and write books or anything like that for quite a while just because he felt like, hey, I did whatever I had to do to survive. There really isn't anything like special about wanting to live. So he didn't really see the need or like desire to go. To go and speak about his experience or write about his experience like he was just going to go and live life he, like every anyone else would have done the same type attitude right exactly so he eventually was convinced by somebody i believe somebody in his family to do a speaking tour and he went around and like he was just amazed at how many people actually wanted to hear him talk well i would oh my yeah. gosh can you, i i'm like enthralled yeah and he said that the most meaningful experience that he gained from that is when this woman came to him after his talk and said that because of listening to him she finally gained her life back because she went through this really traumatic experience where her child was in the driveway and was either hit by her or her husband oh no you've heard these awful stories Mm -hmm. where like just two seconds you look away and something horrible happens. a horrible accident happens and she just could not forgive herself and could not move on after doing that but after she heard how he treated the guilt And loss that he had for bringing his mother and sister on that trip Mm -hmm. and how he had to move on and live life because that's what they wanted him to do. That gave her the like empowerment to move on, move on with hers forgive yeah. herself mm-hmm. or yeah and give give that <gasps> wow. some purpose you know uh-huh so yeah that's my story I'm, I'm loving these survival stories I could do an entire podcast on reading all of these I survived sort of stuff it's it's they're, pretty they're inspiring a lot more um positive and uplifting than some of our stories yeah done. I mean we still had cannibalism which is awful and Whoa. dark and yeah <laughs> not the best but you know um yeah so that's that crazy 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 by the way they're about 68 years now oh okay yeah. okay so I, I don't remember I think what did I say like 50 late, like that? Think late yeah. Yeah. I think you said late fifties. yeah because I was thinking like if they were born then oh got it'd be like 48 but they're they're 68 okay so just so you know Wow, but still, still I mean, insane, 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 insane yeah. story. Well, my survival story is a little bit different than yours. Your last thought in the shot? Yes. Which, which I'm still not sure if that's what we're calling it, but I'm just going to go with it today. Yeah. I, the past couple of weeks, that's what we're calling it until we think of a better name. Yep. <laughs> it didn't even clink because of the peanut butter. There we go. Okay. All right. Oh. Woof. Got a big, big swallow there. Hurricane Sandy. Yes. um, You know, that was that, that hurricane. Yeah, that was a big one. That, was, that sure was something. And they call it Sandy. Mm hmm. Obviously, like thousands and thousands of homes and people were affected by it. Upset, by it. Right. But there was one family in Bell Harbor, New York. They lost their home as well as their Rhodejin Ridgeback Shepherd mixed dog. Oh no. I know. He just freaked out as most animals would. In a store. And yeah. just bolted away uh-huh. from the home. And they run really fast. Well, and I mean they're so scared and they don't know what's going on and the smells and the everything is different and so it was his family, uh, the O'Donovan family. It was the husband and the wife and then they had five children. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> They searched and searched for weeks, but because of the hurricane, electricity was in and out and just, you know, a lot of people had other things on their mind than helping this family find their lost dog. So after a few weeks, they were kind of like, I don't know if we're ever going to see Buster again. Oh, but then a friend of the family, she actually ran a a rescue dog group of her own she said that she had seen Buster on a Facebook group and he was listed as healthy. He had maybe like kennel cough, but he was there and he was alive. Yeah, that's but all that matters. He was scheduled to be euthanized what? in the morning. Why? Uh, Maybe they just had an overflow. Maybe it was at a kill shelter. I don't know. That doesn't, it doesn't. I feel like hurricanes are special circumstances where maybe you would give them a little bit longer time. Let's let these people get some electricity first. Right. So the mom, Christina Donovan, she heard the news and she called the shelter and she's like, that's my dog. Don't put him to sleep. But she was talking to an answering machine. Oh, no. So she's freaking out. First thing she does is get in her car and she just started driving. And she's just like, I I just hoped and prayed that I was going to get there in time to save him. And that morning... Buster and his family were reunited oh yeah I, I mean if you're gonna say that he was euthanized I feel like not, wow Reza this is a terrible story can not, you not I would not tell you that okay story. so the Christine just remembers and she says that he was just so happy to see the family and um his kennel cough is all better <coughs> and oh, he's speaking of kennel cough. <laughs> sorry and he's happy at home oh Oh, you need to pick a story. You need to pick a thing oh, for next week. Right. You don't want to tell me another one next week? No. <laughs> I mean, did I did you not hear my treadmill analogy earlier? <laughs> I'm so much happier with this once every two weeks having to do a story. So It is nice. Yeah. Even though you and I both still wait until the last minute. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. I got it. Ready? Ready. Grave robbers. Ooh grave robbers who put that in there grave robbers i'm sure there's tons of stories about that out in the interweb that sounds like a really happy happy theme i will be good times am i bringing you a drink is Um, that the plan or is eric making us a grave robber drink maybe okay we could do that i don't know either you or he is someone is bringing me a drink because i'm gonna need it next week Sounds like a plan. Okay. Well, good job. That was an amazing story. Amazing. 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 Incredible. There's a lot. I can't wait to see pictures. Yes. I will post them. Uh, If you want to see pictures, check it out at Ripple Pod on Instagram or on Facebook, the Ripple Podcast with Rose and Angela. Or if you have your very own survival story and want to send it to us, send it to us at the Ripple Podcast at gmail.com. Yep. And until next week, don't forget to be a fountain. And not a drain. Bye-bye.